the delightful, the vivacious, the uh, knowledgeable Cheryl Shaw. Good morning, afternoon. Oh, what a wrap there, Mark. Yeah. Thanks very much. And of course, Paul McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for how I'm going to be trumping that one. No. And I wasn't. I, I thought this, it's not going to happen, so don't bother. <laughs> Thank nice, you, Mark. N- nice to see you again, Paul. As always. All right, Cheryl, you've got a big topic for us in a little while. Yes going to talk about humidity and dog's ears. We've had a lot of humid weather and the other day it actually occurred to me that my dog's ear was smelling and it was, it needed a bit of attention. This is a lady that grooms dogs for a living, ladies and gentlemen. But what happens a lot with dogs is that... You just brushed past that, Cheryl. I did, because I'm going to explain why it happens there, Mark. So what happens when you've got a dog that's got long, pendulous ears, and particularly with a lot of hair on them that hang down, the air can't get into the ear cavity properly. And the design of the dog's ear is a little bit like an L shape. It sort of has a vertical and a horizontal. So what happens... If the air can't get in there, bacteria and yeast and things start to breed. And it can be a problem for dogs. And you need to pay attention to it. This moisture and the humid weather that we're having is playing havoc with not just my dogs, but quite a few other dogs I'm seeing. Paul, are you seeing any dogs with ear problems with this humid weather? Yeah, sure. This has been one of our biggest allergy and ear and skin disease seasons we've probably had in, I think, probably 10 or 15 years. Right. We had such a wet summer, as I'm sure we're all very aware of. Um, And so... The, one of the, the key factors in ear disease is often underlying allergies. So as you've mentioned, the confirmation plays a very big role in how well they can aerate those canals. But often one of the, the drivers for the humidity down that canal is underlying allergies as well. Mm. And everyone can uh, understand that their grasses are growing so rapidly. I think I have to mow mine almost every week at the moment. And those um, grasses in the Hunter region are often very allergenic and push those ear diseases Yes. And the other thing is that environmentally too, there's some things that happen. Obviously, we've got dogs that go swimming and yep. getting bathed, pollens, all of those plants and grasses, like you said, with the grass just growing so quickly, the environment is, is, is just, yeah, feasting for these dogs' ears. Um, sometimes there's trauma as well. There's different things that happen that can cause problems in the ears and even some medical conditions that cause ear problems. And like you were saying, Paul, that underlying condition of allergies, if... If somebody's saying, uh, you know, um, that they're getting treated, and I hear this a lot, they say, oh, I'm getting treated by the vet, but the the treatment isn't working. Mm. I always say to people, go back, because often it takes a second look at getting on top of those problems. Absolutely. So I I always iterate this to all my clients, skin disease and particularly ear disease is a long-term medical treatment. It is not a quick fix. Yeah. And generally the problem is going to come back. So this is a condition that you're managing, you're not going to cure. Because as you've already mentioned, those pendulous ears are not going to get any shorter. Yes. Um, and they're not going to get more upright. And so the, the an anatomy isn't going to change. Um, the cyclical weather is always going to happen. We're going to get periods of humidity and then we're going to get periods of dry. And so the, the environment down those canals is always going to be changing and we can't change that at long term either. But so long term maintenance is very important. The most common cause for recurrence of ear disease is stopping the treatment too soon. Yes. And And I think this happens so regularly because often um, dogs don't like having ointment or or drops put in their ear, so the the client is less hesitant to... um, Yeah, owner compliance is always a challenge. Yeah. So it'll be fair to say that people see that the the animal, is the dog is starting to get a little bit better and then they make a call on their own that, oh, look, it's a bit of a hassle, the dog doesn't like what I have to do, so I'm done with it. Yeah. Yeah, and often what you'll see is that, as um, Cheryl rightly mentioned, the canal's got two parts, the 
vertical and the horizontal. And often what clients will, will see is that the discharge that has been building up in that vertical canal is now gone. The drops have, have treated that. Terrific. I can stop my drops now. But what sadly hasn't happened is that the actual disease further down the canal is still there bubbling away. And all you've really done is take the tip off the iceberg and not actually got down to the base problem. The duration of treatment is the most important um, factor in, in trying to clear ear disease in all dogs. Yeah, because it's such a painful thing and often people don't realise. And there's things to look for. If your dog's sort of sitting with its head a little bit tilted, sometimes mm-hmm. that's an indication indication that there's problems going on. Obviously, the discharge and the smell, you know, you'll often get that odour that's there um, that will make you sort of go, oh, hey, better have a look in there. But checking checking your dog's ears at least every week just to make sure there's nothing going on, to make sure you can get on top of it quickly, I think would be really sensible. Yep. Because it doesn't take long for it to get hold and then it's a a long time treating it. That's right. And I always tell clients to, there should always be improvement. If you've used a drop for a few days and it's getting worse, it is either that the active ingredient in that drop doesn't fight the bacteria that you've got down that ear canal or there's something else down the ear canal. Mm. We've taken out two grass seeds from here this week. So Mm. the grass seeds are out at this time of year. They often go down ear canals when dogs are running through long grass. Um, Obviously, an eardrop can't get the ear grass seed out. So um, the second thing, particularly in cats, um, are polyps. So you can get polyps down the canal. And those polyps, um, yes, you'll treat the initial condition, but it'll come back very quickly because the polyp is the reason for the the altered flora, the altered environment, and often the lack of oxygen and air moving backwards and forwards. So the condition can never get better with the drops until you've removed those polyps. Polyps, yeah. And the other thing too, Paul, um, hair in the ears of canals of dogs like your Maltese and oh, your Shih Tzus yes. and your Poodles, yeah. that actually acts as a catalyst for a lot of um, problems for dogs as well. Yeah, that's why we direct a lot of our clients down your way, Cheryl, in that um, ear maintenance of hair is, a, is a, often a long-term and often daily or at least weekly process for lots of owners of fairy of you know those furry dog ears all the you know oodle family out yes, there yes. Um, in particular they they often have very narrow canals naturally and if you clog those up with some hair then you've just created a lovely environment for the yeast and the bacteria that live down those canals quite normally to overgrow yeah and the cocker spaniels as well because their ears are usually so heavy, so heavy yeah. it's a great idea to get them shaved up underneath their ears and reduce as much hair as you can to allow the air into that Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I encourage even some owners with those very pendulous ears is when you're sitting at home with them on the lounge, just hold them up. Yes, yes. <laughs> Get some air backwards and forwards. I have a lovely client who puts a little scrunchie around the ear yeah. of her afghan just to try and get that air moving backwards and forwards. Yes, for those big, so it is so important, particularly during this humid weather and, you know, we've got lots more rain coming apparently, so just mm. check those ears. You kind of wonder what the the poor dogs think of us when we're just there. Just I'm just going to pull your ear up because you, you can never explain to an animal. No, I'm actually doing this for your benefit. They haven't got a clue why we're doing it. That's just well, I think strange... she actually says the dog looks to her to have it done. I think it's become such a pattern of behaviour okay. now. Yes. maybe she gets the benefit for feeling the air through her through the hairs and her ears. I'm not sure, but she says she comes up, sits next to her, puts her head on the lap, which is the cue to lift the ears up and put the little scrunchie in. So oh. yeah, it's cute. My Avalon does that of a morning for his scrunchie. Because he? he can't see. His hair falls down in the night time and he comes and sits next to the bed and waits patiently for his mother to put the scrunchie. Just clarity, that is uh, Cheryl's dog, not a member of the family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cheryl Shaw is here, scrunchies and all. 
Ready? Crunchies and all. And uh, Dr. Paul McCarthy is here. Paul, it's your turn to actually earn your, earn your stripes okay. now. Ready. All right, first up, Michael from Argentine. Michael, your dog is uh, tail's not looking that great at the moment. She's a Ridgeback, about four years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she, she just start recently uh, started uh, chewing it, biting it, scratching it along. Mm-hmm. I mean, the tail and losing a bit of hair there. And, and um, like, uh, scratching it herself like, with the lounge on her back. Yep. As it, uh, is, is it at the tail base or the tip of the tail? Uh, yeah, uh, at the tail base and, yeah. and a, bit, a bit further up the back there uh, uh, is where she's losing the hair, but she keeps on chewing the tail or in the tail area. Yeah, so 99% of the time, this is where fleas hang out. So this is a very big risk of flea allergy dermatitis. Are you using a flea oh. product at the moment? I was, I was just talking to the pet quarters yesterday. Uh, mites. They said it was something, a spray, a deterrent, a deterrent spray uh, with mites or something. So, certainly, uh, I, I would think that step one would be rule out fleas, in that the, the base of a tail is probably the number one spot for fleas hanging out. And as, mm-hmm. they're, as they're biting, they, they cause an irritation. So, it makes the dog release histamine, and then the dog chews the area. Then the chewing of the area causes more irritation and the cycle continues. So step one would be to remove fleas as an option because I think that's probably your most likely. The second thing that can cause chewing around that area is perhaps if the anal glands are blocked. Um, yep. that, could, that can cause irritation in that area and your vet could certainly help you and have those expressed and, and rule that out as a possibility. But at this time of year with a short-haired dog in that location, I would think fleas would be your number one rule out. Yeah, I didn't think it would be fleas, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, number one, it's is, is their best hangout is that around the tail base, and it really irritates the dog. So if you've got that much chewing, I think fleas would be the one to look out for. All right, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, we go to Sharon at Maryville. Sharon, uh, what's going on with your kitty cat there? I've got a, a cat that's about nine years old, and he's had a few dental issues where he's had teeth extracted because he gets a bit of tartar on his teeth. So the last time they went, they've given me a medication um, called Hexarinse. Mm-hmm. And they said the best thing to do is to rinse his mouth out after each meal. Mm. But I'm just trying to think of an easy way to do it. Like it, it says on the instructions to put it underneath his eye line and just squirt it into his mouth. Yeah. But it's impossible to do that with a cat. It is. And, and I certainly think that this is a challenge for lots of cat owners in that, that using those Hexa washers... Uh, a, there's the actual fact of getting the liquid in. B, mm. it tastes abnormal. And, and cats uh. often will let you do it the first time, but aren't too happy about having it done the second time. Um, mm. it, it's a, it's a, uh, a treatment we use much more commonly in dogs and cats because dogs are mm. much more um, uh, sort of accepting about having that treatment done. Um, you, you can certainly do it in several ways. That The first would be is you would do it prior to feeding. So you link mm. the food being present as a sort of a lure um, and you could even do it as a, a piecemeal. I'm going to give you some of your food, we then do a flush, some more of your food, we then do a flush. It, it works better to be done after a meal because what you're sort of doing is flushing some of that away, a, a bit like a human mouthwash. But yeah. often for cats, as soon as they've eaten, they, they want to head for the, the hills. So often it's a difficult thing to get them to sort of stay still enough for that to be done. The second thing too is you can try and minimise the actual sort of potency of the liquid and dilute it out. And so yeah. the, the cat's getting some of the benefit of the hexa wash, but not on quite the same strength that you're giving it as you would normally to a dog. Because cats yeah. are very resistant often to things that taste different. Um, and so that's often a way to try and make it not taste as bad as you dilute the solution out. Um, yeah. It is a challenge. And look, I, 
I, I don't tend to go down that road for cats. I look at trying to use things like um, dental chews, uh, dry food over wet food, um, and, and using those things like greenies and different things to sort of encourage yeah, the, the chewing process. Well. Mm. Yeah, in that what you really want for all dental disease is if you can get the animal to chew for at least 10 minutes each day in a bit of a sort of a gnawing fashion, that will more or less often be adequate to try and prevent the tartar buildup. Um, mm. Often using things like the washers are, are excellent in trying to remove that, that surface food that sticks onto teeth, um, particularly in animals who are having a high wet food diet, mm. um, which is obviously what your vet has asked you to do in this circumstance because often the wet food sort of sticks onto the teeth after that. Um, you may find as an advantage over the liquid being squirted in is some cats will allow you to brush the teeth. Just mm-hmm. get, you can use a little finger glove. So there's this little sort of um, like a thimble, and it goes over your finger, um, and you just sort of run it along the teeth under the lip as you go. And you can often get quite a good mechanical removal of that. I don't know if, I, if the camera's on, but I've just done it on my own teeth here in, in the station, and they're all looking at me weirdly. Um, but yeah, we were often, looking at you weirdly before you started putting your finger in your mouth. <laughs> boom, boom. So um, certainly, I, I think some cats are happy about you having, interestingly, having the brushing of their teeth done rather than the, 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 the fluid being squirted in. Yeah. Does but, it get, um, does it froth, froth up, the hexarin? It can do depending on the strength you've, you've got it at. And that's mm-hmm. why sometimes the, the frothing can be what freaks cats out. Um, mm-hmm. where, where diluting it sometimes will give you still some of the benefit of the active ingredient, but without mm-hmm. that foaming ability. The other mm-hmm. thing too is that cats will foam if they think that something tastes bad in their mouth. So, right. so, so sometimes cats who've had a, a rinse with these things will foam and hypersalivate afterwards as mm. a consequence of the, of the taste of the fluid in their mouth. All right, good luck with all of that, uh, Sharon, and uh, all the best for you and, indeed, Michael as well. Guys, a little earlier we were talking with the whole ears and moisture thing and a big part of that conversation became all about grass and indeed the fact that grass can be very pl- problematic when it comes to pets, Paul. I know, but dangers of grass, who'd have thought? I wouldn't have. No. So uh, this came up because we were talking about grass seeds in ears and I was just saying that in our practice this week we've also been pulling them out of feet. So um, particularly dogs who have feathered feet, and you'd see this at work all the time, Cheryl, the feathers almost act as a bit of a guide. They almost sort of drag the grass seed in between those pads. And so if you've noticed that your dog may be limping, um, have a feel between the toes at this time of year because quite commonly the grass seeds will get between the webbing of the feet um, and they'll form little blisters because the awns on the grass seed allow the, the seed to go in but to not easily back back out again. And so we've had a couple this week um, of that. And so because the grass has been growing so well and we've had a really wet season, there's a lot of grass seeds out there. Um, we've also had them in um, underneath the conjunctiva of eyes. So if you've got really long grass and your dog's running through that, just check their face afterwards because often, particularly again, very face dogs, you'll get the, uh, the grasses will catch in those conjunctivas and you can get corneal ulcers associated with those grass seeds. Um, and then interestingly... Uh, just sorry, Paul, yeah. I know you were, you were pointing at that that I can see, yes, just for I those know. who don't know what that word is. <laughs> I'm doing a we're TV about, show as well as a radio so show. So whereabouts <laughs> in near the eyeball is that... that yeah, thing? so uh, as Mark pointed, it's towards the nose side of the eyeball. Mm. So generally the, the, the muzzle will act as a bit of a funnel and it'll direct it towards the, the centre or the, the nose side of your eye. Um, and then we've had a couple of cats this week who have ingested long blades of grass 
and they've then gone back up behind their pharynx into their nasal area and they've actually presented not for gagging but with sneezing. And so if you get a sneezing cat at this time of year, um, don't put it just down the cat flu. Um, have it checked because quite commonly when you open these cats' my- mouths, you'll see the grass blade right at the back of the pharynx going up into the nose. Um, and they can't get that out easily because it's already gone back into a sort of trapped area. So we often see grass up the back of the nose. I think we had one, one dog this last month who has had it had removed from their nose twice. So They um, didn't learn the first didn't time didn't learn around. the first no. time. It was a Cavalier, not, not dissing Cavalier owners out there, obviously, but, yeah, <laughs> um, it came in twice for the same problem. And, and we were sure we pulled out both grass. You know, it wasn't there from the first time. It was new. So be very careful. Keep your grass short if you can in this time period. It does make it easier for dogs and certainly for allergic dogs. The longer the grass, particularly the longer the wet grass, the more easy um, the allergen is to be picked up on the skin and therefore responded to by the dog. So always good to try and keep your grass low if you've got um, allergic dogs. And if you've just mown your grass, keep your dogs off it for a couple of hours because the cut ends of the grass are are leaking um, liquid and that liquid is super allergenic for those dogs who might react, particularly if you've got a buffalo grass lawn. Of course, there is the the better way to to look at that as well. If you're having a pet, just have concrete backyard. (laughs) Yes, concrete backyard. It'll wear the nails down nicely, Cheryl, so there'll be no need to have the nails being trimmed. Um, Probably a bit hot in the summer, but I guess there is a shade. Shade. Yeah, yeah. And also helps with my hatred of yard work and gardening. No mowing for there. Not at all. (laughs) Dr Paul McCarthy is here along with Cheryl Shaw, and we're going to stay up in that nasal cavity to finish up today, guys. We are. So... I was, we were talking in the break about, um, about sneezing. Now, we get lots of calls often to the practice about animal sneezing and whether they should be worried about sneezing or whether this is just something that happens to dogs and cats. So, like humans, dogs and cats will sneeze. And so, and similar to dogs and cats, if you sneezed once a week, you probably wouldn't rush to your, to your doctor about that. But if probably you were, not, no. If you were sneezing on a regular basis, um, over a short period of time, you'd think foreign body. If you were sneezing over a long period of time and if there was any discharge from the nose, then you'd have it investigated. And the same rule applies for cats and dogs. So cats and dogs um, have, a very di- have a similar nasal passage to us but much more convoluted and, and they have a much better ability to sort of cool and warm air getting into their, into their noses, depending upon the breed. So... Um, if you've got a, a long-nosed dog that is sneezing, particularly if it's got sneezing and discharge from only one side of the nose, that's definitely important to get investigated because generally diseases like allergies are going to give you discharge from both sides of the nose. If you've got what we call a unilateral nasal discharge, then you're thinking three big issues are a problem possibility. Um, foreign bodies are number one, obviously, so grass seeds, grasses, all sorts of things. The second one, sadly, are diseases of the infectious nature. So one of the common ones, particularly in dogs like German Shepherds or long-nosed dogs, is called aspergillosis, where you get um, plant fungus growing in the nose. Um, And disappointingly, that once it's in, can actually damage the bones and cause quite a lot of trauma to the nose. So So how does that that get in there? Yeah, so they're just environmental fungi, they're little yeast that live in the environment and the fungal spores get inhaled by dogs as they're sort of snuffing around in the undergrowth. Um, And in those longer nosed dogs where they can often hide out easier from the immune system they lodge and then the fungal spores grow and they grow and divide and as they're growing and dividing they're also invading 
And so they're, they're going through that epithelium of your nasal passage into the bone and then from the bone it can go into the bloodstream and all sorts of places. So aspergillosis is quite a common disease um, disappointingly in long-nosed dogs and particularly it will present with often sneezing first. You'll then get discharged from that nose initially and then sadly that discharge will become bloody as the bone starts getting invaded by the fungus. Um, and if then, that's really not picked up in a hurry, mm, how bad how bad can oh, that get? Very serious. So as you would as you would all know, your your nose attaches to your sinuses, and your sinuses are the barrier before your brain. So you can get fungal disease that can do such a big job in breaking through the bone that it ends up in your sinuses and can eventually end up in the brain as well. So um, really important if you've got a unilateral nasal discharge to have that investigated very very early. Um, because also the last condition we often see associated with those discharges are nasal tumours, um, and not uncommon as we think they might be, in that lots of dogs, disappointingly, are more prone to those. Um, and that isn't so specific about long-nosed dogs, that's about all breeds of dogs. Um, the second thing to talk about sneezing for dogs particularly is those um, what we call brachycephalic, the short-nosed dogs. Um, they will often get sneezing associated with their nasal folds. So anyone who has those little dogs knows that there's lots of folding and, and bending of skin around the nasal passages and they often don't air very well. So if you've got one of those guys, do a really good job in cleaning around the nasal, what we call the nares, because if they can stay open and not clogged, you've got less risk of bacteria then getting up into the nose from the skin, which is often a way that bacteria can get into the nasal passages. General question, but apart from those symptoms that we can see, would there be some, some things behaviourally that we could be looking out for? Yeah, so dogs who always want to rub their noses on the carpet or the floor or the wall or the bedding or your leg, um, they're itchy. And so sometimes the initial sign before you get a discharge is that there's an irritation of the nose. The second thing is that dogs will pour at their face. So dogs who are pouring at their nose, pouring at their faces, that's a common side effect as well. And then sometimes along with the nasal signs, you'll get ocular signs. So you'll get a, 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 either a serous or a, 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 a mucus discharge from the eyes, which is then correlated to the fact that the eyes are connected to the nose via the, a little duct with the nasolacrimal duct. Um, and so you can get eyes involved in the signs as well. All right, plenty of learning on uh, Pet Chat today. Thank you, Dr. Paul. Appreciate it. Pleasure as always. And uh, Cheryl, Cheryl, we've got to mention these just on your run out the door today. Being St. Patrick's Day, you bought in... It's a massive clover, I guess. It is. A three-leaf <laughs> clover. It's not that lucky. No, it's not four, though. It's only three. So yeah. what does three mean? Is that just bad luck generally? It was bad luck for you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Bugger off. <laughs> Happy well, St. Patrick's Day to everyone out there as well. All right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Paul McCarthy and Cheryl. Sure, you'll all be back next week. Have a great uh, rest of the week, all right? Thanks thank you very much, much Mark. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.